country music icon, Earl Haggard, died in 2016. Had 38 of his Billboard country music top 10 charts. More than a dozen made it to number one. He had 38 number one singles. He also had five wives over his lifetime. Spent time in San Quentin prison. But he said this, There is a restlessness in my soul that I've never conquered. With motion, not with motion, marriages, or meaning. It's still there to a degree, and it will be till the day I die. Haggard was simply expressing what the world of Babylon offers, right? Big promises for chasing the wind. Temporary highs with nothing to show for it in the end. In our text, Peter is writing, and you can see that in the previous verses, chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, he's writing to persecuted exiled Christians in what's today modern day Turkey. Knowing they had far more in front of them than what they had here in this life. Things looked bleak. Their leaders were getting worn. The churches were wearing thin. But there is an eternal nature to who they were that would start their engines, was the key to starting their engines. Every day they remembered these truths. So after chapter 4, verses 12-19, through he writes to strengthen the churches by laying out authentic pastoral ministry to the pastors and the faith families that were scattered in difficulty across this geographical region of Asia Minor so that the church of Jesus Christ advanced even in hardship for the glory of God. There are three things I want to see from this passage eventually, but we're just going to look at one this morning, and it's this, that pastoral leadership starts with identity with Christ, and so the application to all of us together this morning, and the only point we're going to look at today is identify with Christ. Identify with Christ. We'll see what that means here, but notice the first verse. Peter writes, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. The elders among you, I exhort, he says, I am also a fellow elder. Churches over the centuries understood that there are basically two offices. There's the office of pastor and there's the office of deacon. Pastor comes from the word to pastor, to shepherd, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. But most often that office is described as elder in the New Testament. The word deacon means a servant. The prototype probably in Acts chapter 6. And the job was to free elders to do the ministry of the word and prayer. In fact, if you want to look in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, you see these two offices mentioned together, the elders and then the deacons, where Paul writes to the uh, Philippians and he says this, very simply, Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints and Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. The word bishops there is the word overseers and a, a pastor in the New Testament is called by three titles, a pastor or is called an elder or he's called a bishop as it's translated in the old translations or an overseer is what the word means there. 
And an elder here that Peter is writing to in 1 Peter 5 is not some kind of in-between office between the pastor and the deacons, but it is a pastor. An elder is a pastor. It's a pastor of a church or a bishop or an overseer, elder, or shepherd. It's all the same office here. It's what you would call me here in my particular position here at South Hope Community Church. And it's used to refer to that particular pastoral position in the church. You might wonder, well, where did this idea of elders begin? It begins, um, it's, it's carried over from the synagogue practices, and where it first appears is in Acts chapter 11 and verse 30 with the church or churches in Jerusalem that had elders. And you see it in Acts chapter 15 and Acts chapter 16 and Acts 21. When you read about Paul and Barnabas' very first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas appoint elders in all the churches that they visit during their first missionary journey. And what Paul says about that is really part of his the whole purpose for him planning these churches. As Luke describes the mission, he says, And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended or entrusted them to the Lord on whom... They believe. That was part of the missionary process. Part of what was important for the church to sustain itself and to continue and to multiply here. When a contingent of leaders visit Paul from the church in Ephesus, they're called elders in Acts chapter 20 and verse 17, a team of pastors. Even in James, the person who's sick and needs prayer is encouraged to what? To summon the elders, the pastors of the church for prayer and anointing according to to chapter 5, verse 14. The pastoral epistles, First Timothy, chapter 5, verse 17, shows that there were elders that were functioning in this church at Ephesus. And, and, uh, and they're listed there in First Timothy, chapter 3, and their qualifications. And then the deacons following that. And in Titus, chapter 1, elders were to be appointed in Crete to fill what was lacking there in that particular church. And so, by the time Peter's writing in 1 Peter 5, they're widespread, this office here is widespread in the early church. They're mentioned by four different authors. Luke, Paul, Peter, and James in the inspired Scriptures. And now these churches here are stretching over a wider region of the Greek and Roman world from Jerusalem and Palestine and the whole of Asia Minor and Crete here. And it's... And it's probable here, as we look at the time, the, the, their mentionings in the New Testament, that they're usually mentioned plural, as though there was there was a team of elders. And Acts fourteen twenty three that we saw says elders were appointed for them in every church. Jesus has a heart for team ministry. He sent out his disciples two by two. The missionary teams in the Book of Acts are teams. And the churches have pastoral leadership teams. And Peter here, who has such a prominent place in the building of the early church, especially in the early chapters of the book of Acts, you think Acts chapter 2 and on, and Acts 10, one of the twelve, an apostle of Jesus Christ, given much authority, he says to humble, persecuted Pilgrim pastors in these little clusters of flocks in Asia Minor. I'm just like you, a fellow elder, a fellow pastor. And notice what else he says. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Do you remember as Peter walked with Jesus 
And Jesus told him that it was necessary for Jesus to suffer and to die and then to be raised again. What Peter's response to that was? That's not going to be you, Lord. This can't be true. That the sufferings of Christ was once something that he rejected of Jesus. And he tries to talk him out of it in Matthew 16. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan, right? And now Peter describes Jesus here and his sufferings who he has seen and he has been an eyewitness of. And he says, now I have seen and I bear witness to those who will hear of the suffering of the Messiah on the Roman cross. His cross is always before me, is what Peter is saying. It is my imprint. It is formed deep into my spiritual DNA. The cross before me, we sing the world behind me, right? He's saying, I bear the message of the cross for the building up of the church. And Peter here, as he describes himself and says, a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He's using a word witness here that is translated uh, many times as a martyr. He was ready to die. Remember at the end of the book of John, John lets us into a window of Jesus' conversation with Peter. Peter's been restored after denying the Lord Jesus. And, P- and Jesus tests Peter and he says, do you love me more than these? Perhaps referring to the fishing industry. And, G- and Peter assures him that he does. And every time Jesus says what? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, then feed my lambs, right? And then he tells Peter how he's going to die. How he's going to suffer. And Peter here, I'm sure as he's writing to these elders, these pastors here amongst the churches in Asia Minor, remembers that conversation and knows that the cross before me and I must bear my cross on my path with my Savior. It should arise as no surprise that persecution is going to come. And Peter here is a a witness of the sufferings of Christ is saying, I go by the way of the cross that has called me to suffer in the same way. And friends, when God saves a Christian through the cross, He calls him to die and follow Jesus to embrace the cross. And Peter here understands this and understands the calling and understands that as an apostle, as an elder, they would probably be marked men and headhunted by those who would be against the cross. He's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And then Peter says, secondly, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. A partaker, the word there, partaker, is the word for shared, for fellowship. It's the idea of, 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 a, of a joining in here. And Peter here says, I go fueled by the cross, identifying with the sufferings of Christ as a fellow pastor who probably will, will receive more and more pressure, more and more heat from the enemy here. But I go fueled by the cross because I am also a partaker of the glory that will come one day. This was an about-to-be glory that would soon be revealed. Peter here has in mind the return of Jesus Christ, His second coming, as Jesus Christ comes in His glory. The return of the risen Messiah as it comes closer. And he's looking forward to a future event here. 
And when the risen King returns, there will be an unveiling of His glory that will be shown like Peter had one time glimpsed on the Mount of Transfiguration. Where Peter and James and John went up with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration to read in the, in the Gospels. And there they see that veil removed and the bright glory of Jesus and all His divinity revealed to them. He saw a glimpse that day. He was stunned by it. He said, this is great, let's stay here. Let's build booths and stay here. He was impressed by it. But that day he did not share the glory with Christ. But Peter here is saying there was coming a day soon that Peter knew for suffering pastors who needed to thrive in Babylon with their flocks, with their battered flocks. They needed to thrive in Babylon. The only way they were going to do it, the only way they were going to go the way of the cross was to see the crown of glory that they would share in with the chief pastor, the chief shepherd. And that identity with Christ kept Peter going. And the pastors in Asia Minor kept them going to pastor the flock they were responsible for. Notice in verse 1, he says, the elders which are among you. Among you, I exhort. The elders among you. There is a responsibility here that these elders, these pastors had for a particular flock. A particular flock. You remember what the writer of Hebrews, whoever he was or she was, writes in Hebrews chapter 13 and says this in verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you. Remember those team of pastors who have this rule over you, this authority over you, authority not derived in and of themselves, but in the Word of God, who have spoken to you the Word of God, whose faith follow, whose faith follow behind, considering the end or the result of their life, their conversation. He's probably writing to people, uh, believers that had seen their pastors be martyred for the faith. And he says, remember those who have been, de- been delegated by the chief shepherd and authority through the Word of God, not an authority outside of the Word of God, but an authority that resides in the Word of God, to, to shepherd you and follow the end of their faith. And their faith, as he's thinking of those particular people, walked all the way to the end of a life that was snuffed out, but received the crown of glory. The writer of Hebrews will say also in that same chapter, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, Obey them that have the rule, the, the, the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. What he's saying here is this is a heavy task. Yes, there's a crown of glory, but there's a crown of glory because this is a heavy task. There's the watching of souls. And there's an account for every sheep in that fold that that shepherd will give an account of. I want you to be reminded that it's... I'm not going to be responsible for Pastor English at West Rockport Baptist Church's flock. Responsible for this particular flock. Not going to be responsible for for um, uh, another church's flock or people that flit in and out. Responsible here for the coveted people here at this particular church, this flock here. 
that there is a calling. And this calling here is to present each one, as Paul says in in Colossians chapter 1, spotless and blameless before Christ. This is a heavy calling. And it's that kind of identity that these pastors needed to know was rooted so they could do this hard task in the face of increasing pressures here. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, he says then in verse 2. That word feed there is the word for shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. And then he's going to describe what that will look like and we're going to look at that in the next week here. But shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Why did Peter take the time to say verse 1 so he could say verse 2? Why did he take the time to speak to the pastors among these groups and, and, and say, I'm also an elder, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that shall be real. Why did he do that? To lift himself high? No, not at all. Not at all. To remind themselves that this is God's sheep. Look at verse 2. Feed the flock of God. This is not the pastor's flock. This is not the pastor's church. And I am not this church's pastor. You're God's flock and God's put me here. I'm an under-shepherd. There's a chief shepherd and I'm an under-shepherd. And someone in a pastoral position is not the authority. Jesus Christ is the authority, but they've been delegated the authority. Shepherd the flock of God, this flock of God which is among you. These image bearers of God that have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ to have that image of Jesus Christ shine forth more and more brightly as they become more and more like the Lord Jesus. You might say, okay, that's nice. There's a little pastoral theology. This is some theology of what it is to be a pastor. But how does this relate to me? And I want you to understand this this morning. Have you ever thought about what your prime, about what your calling is? And no matter what your particular calling and how that's expressed, whether you get a paycheck from the church or God pays you through somebody else, that your primary calling, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter when you live, is to be an obedient disciple of Jesus Christ who is rooted in your identity that has been given and gifted to you in Christ. That when God saved you, when you called upon Him in repentance and faith, He made you a partaker of His very own divine nature. And He wrapped you in His perfect goodness, His perfect righteousness. He sent the third person of the three-in-one God to live in you and to rule your life with His power. And He declared that nothing can move you out of God the Father's hand. And the risen Son of God would be with you all the way through the end of history. That can never be taken away from you. And whatever your work in life or your task you've been assigned and the responsibilities that you have that may change and ebb and flow, you have an imprinted identity that began through the Holy Spirit with a totally new mind and heart. That was specifically designed, this new mind was specifically designed to give radiating glory and honor to God by displaying to the watching world that God is good over all things. So whether you're a salesman 
or a stay-at-home mom, or you're on disability, or you're retired, or you're a business manager, or a fisherman, or work in the medical field, or an engineer, or a farmer, or a clerk, or a delivery driver, or a government worker, or a high school student, or a homeschooler, or the youngest child, or a parent, or a husband, or wife, or single, your eternal identity and calling and vocation is to be identified with Jesus Christ in His sufferings and later in His glory. It is what God has declared you to be, and that will never change. You are His very own child. You are His beloved son and daughter. So that when you labor in Babylon, in difficulty, under pressure to turn from Him, tempted by the lusts of this world, this never changes and you can stand on that and you can work out your salvation from that. Recent song um, called Memories by Maroon 5 expresses the angst of the life changes that come. And that Babylonian lack of hope that the memories that you had are all you have of what you once had. And the lyrics go like this. Here's to the ones that we got. Cheers to the wish you were here but you're not. Because the drinks bring back all the memories of everything we've been through. Toast to the ones here today Toast to the ones that we lost on the way. Because the drinks bring back all the memories. And the memories bring back, memories bring back you. There's a time that I remember when I did not know no pain. When I believed in forever and everything would stay the same. Now my heart feels like December when somebody says your name. Because I can't reach out to call you. But I know I will one day. Everybody hurts sometimes, everybody hurts someday. But everything going to be alright, go and raise a glass and say, Here's to the ones that we got. Cheers to the wish you were here, but you're not. Because the drinks bring back all the memories of everything we've been through. Toast to the ones here today. Toast to the ones that we lost on the way. Because the drinks bring back all the memories, and the memories bring back, memories bring back you. Memories bring back, memories bring back you. There was a time that I remember when I never felt so lost. When I felt all the hatred was too powerful to stop. Now my heart feels like an ember and it's lighting up the dark. I'll carry these torches for you that you know I'll never drop. Everybody hurts sometimes. Everybody hurts someday. But everything's going to be alright. Go and raise a glass and say, Here's to the ones that we got. Cheers to the wish you were here but you're not. Etc. But they don't and it doesn't, right? Everything else in this world is going to change. What's popular has changed in five years, probably five minutes, right? Your looks will change. You remember when I was here 12 years ago, right? 30 years old. Your clout and your sway in this world will change. Your careers will change. Your role as parents will change. Maybe you can take comfort in that. Maybe you can be sad about that. But your role as parents will change. The temporary nature of marriage 
Because one spouse will leave one day. When you have to say goodbye. Friendships change. Houses change. Cars change. Toys change. Skills and capacities to do things change. Circumstances of life ebb and flow. Good and bad. Most wonderful thing in the world you can ever experience. And the hardest things you would never want to face. And of course, everything in between in much smaller doses. And Peter here is reminding these shepherds something that we all need to be reminded of. You can be in this world system, but not of it. You can thrive in Babylon, fulfilling whatever temporary task you have been called to be faithful in, because what will never change is always true about you if you are in Christ at your deepest core. And it is this, Christ is in you and you are in Christ. Whether you are in a nursing home bed or whether you are seven years old playing in the grass with bare feet. So Peter says, I'm not going to flaunt my authority. I'm going to speak to you right where you are. Because the cross-centered life of Christ is my life, Peter says. The glory-driven hope of Christ that powered Him through the cross and out of the grave, Peter says, is my hope. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And I'm a sharer of the glory of Christ that will be revealed. So Peter says this, My Messiah is a real person who is in me, and I am in him. So work out of that. Let's pray.